Today, we're speaking with Tiffany Pettit, the Director of Strategic Partnerships at Influential, a social data company that uses AI technology through their partnership with IBM Watson to connect brands with influencer audiences. Tiffany graduated with her master's in strategic public relations from USC and worked in the beauty industry as a beauty editor right out of school. She started working to activate bloggers and jumped into the early age digital talent industry as it started gaining popularity. This experience gave her an itch to explore more of the social media talent space, which led her to a position as senior talent manager for beauty and fashion creators at Maker Studios, one of the largest MCNs, multi-channel networks, of the time. She represented the digital portfolios for top talent on YouTube. Campaigns were sponsored by brands like Target, Verizon, Google, Clarence, L'Oreal, and Pepsi. And through the company's acquisition into the Walt Disney Company, she worked with talent to expand the digital marketing push for major film and television releases like Star Wars A Wrinkle in Time, Grownish, and Black Panther. And fun facts that I've always loved and appreciated about Tiffany is that she judges cheerleading competitions on the weekends. She travels all over the country to do so, and she still makes time to work out almost every single day. We're so happy to have you here. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing, or WIM for short, is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing, advertising trends, and get real about women in business. Our mission is to network, to foster leaders within this exciting industry, and to share information to make our work stronger. That's where this podcast comes in. We'll bring you fresh perspectives on timely topics facing the industry from expert voices in the space. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim.com. So we're just going to jump into the questions. Um, I'm super excited to have you here today. So Tiffany, first question for you. You've been around in this industry really from like the very beginning when it all started. You're like, OG. Mm-hmm. like not a lot of people can say that, which I think is super cool. One of the many reasons I'm like excited to chat with you today. So just like tell everyone about your personal career path and how you ended up to where you are today. Yeah, totally. Okay. So, um, personal career path. I, I w- went to school in San Diego. I went to San Diego State. Um, from there, went straight to grad school, didn't take any time off. I was like, if I stop school now, I'll probably never go back. And so did it immediately following. And then during that time, I started working immediately too. So I was a beauty editor at an online, um, beauty website. And it was definitely different. It was a startup. So I was like my career path. I kind of want to tap into PR still. I kind of also want to do like business development. They're like, you're going to be an editor. And then if there's other things that you can do, like we'll totally tap into that too. And it's like, okay, cool. I'll just wear all these hats. <laughs> and so quickly <laughs> I was climbing up an editor, an editorial ladder um, in the direction that I didn't necessarily want to be. I was surrounded by these amazing women and writers who this was their passion and my interests were just a little bit different, I think. So I was there for maybe two, two and a half years. And then um, when I was there, I was working with a lot of up and coming bloggers, if you will. It was like this new space where we used bloggers for the purposes of exposure for them. When really, it really flip-flopped during my time there where they had a larger following than we had at one point. And so they were asking for like monetary compensation and things like that. And we're like, wait, what? Shouldn't you, shouldn't you want to work with us? And it's like, 
we definitely could value their amazing content that they have and their amazing reach. So we definitely tapped into them. Um, it was beauty bloggers from all over the place, really honing in on like women in beauty and beauty and like what these products really did. And since that was the basis of our website, it was like a natural fit. Um, but we didn't have budget to, to really pay these people. And so, um, I tapped into it really early at the, at that job and then decided I should, I went to, I ended up wanting to go to a company where they really focused on this influencer space that was super new and they valued it. And it was digital, meaning it was really trendy and sexy and, and fun. And I, I went there and I, I let them know, you know, my experience might be a little bit limited, but I can, I can work with bloggers. I can work with people. It's like managing, you know, babysitting or like kids or something like that. Right. <laughs> and they're like, you know, a lot of our, a lot of our experts here come from like casting backgrounds. So, you know, are you, are you familiar with that? And I was like, absolutely. I've casted people, if you will. I've casted bloggers for different, for different projects. And so they were like, cool. You seem like a personable person. Like, let's start you here. So I was at Maker Studios. It was an MCN at the time, one of the biggest. And, uh, there I manage a bunch of lifestyle and beauty influencers that you know of today. The Camila Coelos, I managed Mr. Kate at the time, Shameless Maya. Um, and through in there, I really focused on definitely building up their digital portfolios. YouTube was really our specialty. Um, but we definitely tapped into their Instagram, Facebooks and tried to optimize across the board. But even more so for these beauty girls and, and beauty fashion lifestyle space, they were getting paid a lot of money from these advertisers that came to the business and wanted to work with really true experts in the space with this amazing reach that publications couldn't necessarily get. Even online, um, some of those, you know, really famous traditional publications in print, even their online presence was a little bit limited to what these influencers had on, on digital. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely new. Um, I saw how much money can be made from a talent perspective on that end. And I was like, okay, there's something, there's something here. There's something about this space that's really attractive to people who have just like a ton of money in marketing overall. And so influencers, I think, made up maybe just a portion of their overall digital spends, but it was a very large portion for a lot of these brands and it only continued to grow over time. And so from there, I was at Maker Studios through the acquisition with the Walt Disney Company, which kind of flip-flopped the, the business a little bit because Disney's super traditional um, in nature very huge company, super amazing things that they can do from a global perspective. But digital was a little bit still kind of new, especially working with influencers. So we came in as like the influencer experts and um, we could tap into, you know, unique audiences online that they weren't able to really engage with as effectively as some of our talent could. And so it was totally a natural fit in that space. But I think the work that I started to do there, you know, educating was, was fun, but I really wanted to continue to grow in that digital space and, and work, um, in new and innovative ways, which landed me here at influential, which, uh, as you know, is a social data company. They do a lot with AI technology and they work with IBM Watson, uh, to really match brands with influencer audiences in like a new and unique way. And so, um, our differentiator here is, really trying to analyze audiences for the purposes of targeting, you know, the influencer beyond who they are, just at face value. It's like, who are the people interacting with this influencers? Who is really engaging with these people and, and dedicated to these influencers online um, for the purposes of obviously conversion. Um, I think a lot of brands 
like to hype up awareness as something that's really important to them. But it's like, at the end of the day, if we can say, we actually move sales, like these influencers actually drove to your website or actually drove in store foot traffic. It's like an amazing story to tell. So it's definitely been um, back and forth between digital and, and, and traditional a little bit, but really trying to focus my efforts on digital has been um, sort of my path, at least at least right now. So that's how I made it here. That's awesome. What a cool story. And, you know, to just see, like, hear these, like, company names over time and, like, you know, where you started and how you ended up where you are, I think that's really such a cool path. And there's, like, you know, there's some younger folks listening to this podcast who are, like, looking to get into this industry. So it's also great to see that, like, everything had uh, it's, it's your path. It's like your unique path to where it is and, and to where you are. And like, you know, that's one option for them to follow. And then, you know, there's some people listening who are, you know, even more senior to you or, or, or me and, you know, yeah. uh, and so for those people in particular, I can speak personally and say that I'm really fascinated by all the work that influential is doing. I feel like even the brief description of what you mentioned, it's like really taking all this work that we're doing to the next level. It's like Mm -hmm. not only should it be about brand awareness, but it's like, you know, like really converting and really extrapolating like interesting data and insights from all of these uh these campaigns that we're working on and you know so much money is being thrown into like this world so you know talk to me a little bit more about that like what are some of the like interesting data points that you guys have found and what are you guys like maybe hoping to uh to build yeah absolutely so yeah i agree with you in that it really using numbers using data and the ways that we're able to do is really sort of elevating and, and edifying this influencer marketing space because i think unless you're talking to other people in the industry you might you know sometimes i have to talk to kids to really understand for them to understand the work that i do talking to other adults who are just like what do you mean you use people to, to promote products it's like what is that and it's like but look there are all these like great stats about it and the way consumers are shopping is like steadily growing and, and due to the fact that said influencer on Instagram, you know, was talking about it, how much they loved it. And it, and it then drove them to behave in that same way. Um, yeah, we're, we're able to look at a couple different things. I mean, I think uh, from a high level perspective, we're really taking audience metrics into consideration and, and optimizing that um, with paid media efforts a lot of the time. So I know that that was a little bit tricky when I when I first started. I think whenever you're saying that your talent is going to have paid media run against them and their face is going to be utilized as an advertisement. It's kind of like, hold up. I'm not sure that I'm interested in that. Uh, there definitely needs to be some money against that, which there is. Um, but I think from a, from a client perspective, it's really essential to scale. Definitely use these influencers in the way that drives, you know, visual messaging and, and creative content, but then also trying to do the same thing, trying to take their unique audience that it is 18 to 35, if you will, and scale it across the globe, essentially, in a lot of ways and, uh, and, and drive that online traffic um, it's, or app downloads or, you know, whatever their KPI may be um, in a really edified way. So. Yeah, I think definitely looking at audience is is one key differentiator for us. Um, we also take into consideration these things called personality insights, which is something that um, through our partnership with IBM Watson, we've been able to sort of develop and characterize. And it's really honing in on another human layer that makes up a social account. They've essentially identified 47 different personality traits that make up a social account. So if you're familiar with like Myers-Briggs personality testing, um, we basically take that same theory and attribute that to social media accounts. And so you can be anything from like 
high in excitement, adventurousness, um, openness, uh, philanthropy, uh, or, or just like, um, altruistic in, in a lot of ways. You can score high in those and it's scaled or it's measured by way in which the influencer is talking to their audience. So what kind of content are they putting out is one thing, but what are they talking like? How are they speaking? What sort of personality are they portraying on these different social media platforms? And it can totally vary. Had influencers that are very like family oriented, maybe on Facebook, but a little bit more liberal on Twitter. Um, and that's just normal based on the platform. But we're able to use stats like that and, and measure, you know, the brand's uh, social accounts in that same way and then cross reference and utilize influencers who are essentially speaking the same language um, on those digital platforms in order to make another case as to why these people are perfect fit. For, for the brand. That is and so interesting. That is <laughs> it's, so it's, cool. It's fun. Yeah. I mean, we definitely use normal metrics like engagement rate. Um, we're looking at reach for sure. That definitely matters. Um, audience information, you know, age, gender, uh, family size, whether that they're married or not, um, income ranges sometimes play into consideration, even occupations sometimes, um, or brand affinities, but, these personality insights have been really interesting from a client perspective because they don't necessarily know these influencers personally. I know we definitely work with influencers non-exclusively across the board. And so in addition to leveraging, um, you know, managers and agents who have that relationship to explain more so about where the influencer is coming from or what the talent has a passion for, it's another layer to humanize these influencers um, and back it up with those numbers, but, you know, add that additional um, personifying, I suppose, layer to, to them as well. So it, it's so, been fun and unique and totally interesting. Yeah. And so speaking of, you know, humanizing followers, I'd love to talk a little bit about fake followers because I feel like, especially like this year, there's been like a couple like hot button topics. This bled into last year as well. I just feel like everyone is always talking about fake <laughs> followers and bots and like all of this stuff. Like, what is your, I mean, you've been in the industry for so long and you've seen such an evolution of it and, you know, different at different points in time, there were different things that people were most interested in looking at and really putting a microscope over. So the fake followers is what people are really trying to combat against right now. Like, what's mm -hmm. your opinion on how to get ahead of this problem? Yeah, that's a totally valid, totally relevant question, at least, um, Definitely recently. Um, so they exist. I mean, you and I both have Instagram accounts, the whatever size that they may be. There's definitely bots behind them. Whether or not we put those bots there is, is like one thing. Um, but they're essentially kind of everywhere. Um, but it's, it's low relatively unless you essentially purchase them, paid for them in some capacity. So, um, what we've done at Influential, our CEO, along with some, um, executives with some of our partners, including at IBM, uh, established the Bot Fraud Prevention Council, which basically sheds light on how many fake followers essentially make up influencers' social accounts. And so in our database now, it scores on like a low, medium, high basis. And if we do see it in the high range, it's not necessarily great <laughs> to see. And, and that's like a combination of like bots that they may have purchased. Um, if we do like a, a run the analysis, we can see if uh, they purchase it themselves or if other people kind of purchase it for them. We can essentially ask them. I know there's a lot of influencers that are like, I did not pay for these. How did I get these? And we'd probably look to run their accounts and kind of see exactly where they came from. Um, but yeah, there, it's something that we're trying to be a little bit more, um, 
vocal about, if you will. I know it's like such a sensitive topic, but if we are looking at targeting influ- or audiences, influencer audiences to measure back to conversion in a lot of ways, we have to make sure like their audiences are real and they're actually people who can behave in the ways that we expect them to behave. So um, we take that in consideration. We generally just let clients know um, if they are in like a high, you know, bot following, we wouldn't recommend using them, uh, especially if it's going to be detrimental to whatever they're looking to get out of the campaign from like a business needs perspective. And and what's considered a high, you know, high, is it a percentage wise? Yeah. I would assume that like what percentages exactly. are you guys taking into consideration there? Oh, that's a great question. I think the percentages definitely vary per platform. Um, it, we're basically looking at like, what is the average? And if it's above that, it's, it's more so in that high range. Um, it is rare. I mean, it's not everyone that has this and, and it's really pretty obvious when they do have it. I mean, you'll have like a massive reach and then your likes and comments and shares don't really add up. Um, I've also seen a lot of this on platforms like LinkedIn, believe it or not. <laughs> We've seen it where activity level uh, or follower count on there is really high, but then activity level, there's only like one like on there. Like, how do they get so many followers? And that totally happens, I think, sometimes, especially for maybe celebrities. But um, at the same time, there's a ton of accounts that you would expect to naturally have high social followings. But Sometimes that 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 fake followership is, is a little bit high, and again, they do happen on accident. It, some in some cases, but most of the time, if they're really above and beyond sort of that average metric, it's it's going to be fake followers. <laughs> it's not going to be it's not going to be valid. And so, yeah, it does that does that answer your question? <laughs> it does. It does. No, absolutely. And I've heard, and what you mentioned also like blows my mind when you were mentioning, you know whether the influencer bought the bots themselves or if somebody else bought them for them. And I've heard of this basically to sabotage the competition out there. I mean, that is so wild that that's, I don't even know that that, I don't even believe that that's like a a rare occurrence because I keep hearing it more and often. I'm not the type of person that would ever even like, like (laughs) have that thought cross my mind that people are like going to sabotage somebody to that extent. But Apparently, this is a thing. I mean, so you've heard that too. I've definitely been hearing that. And I want to say recently, I don't know if it's always been a thing, but I've definitely seen that. And just being in touch with uh, influencers directly or creators at different events, they've just been like, you know, this is super interesting. Is there any way that you guys are helping sort of combat this? Like, why do I have this? I didn't do this to myself. And it's, that's kind of crazy. So what we could do is, is run an analysis and kind of see where they came from. But going back into, um, cause even if you are someone trying to sabotage someone else and you buy those bots on a specific site, they may not be that looking back at it may not be attributed to that individual person that bought it. It'll probably just say whatever farm, farm, bot farm they bought it from. So um, that's like super next level, but yeah, it, it's sad. I want to say it, it's to- it's very low. I mean, it's definite opposite of what Michelle Obama told us to do. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's 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 a thing, and it's something that we're trying to just get people a little bit more aware about and to really strive on that organic engagement. I think um, 
to talk about bots like back in the day. When I was in school, we had to create a Twitter account. And one of the goals was to um, get a certain amount of followers throughout the semester. And so what a lot of people did was just buy those followers on like Fiverr. You can buy like a million followers on Twitter. And I had a friend who did that and was able to sort of maintain that based on his engagement after a while. <laughs> of course, they definitely, um, I don't want to say scraped, but uh, pulled the account um, after a while, like Twitter got hold of it. But there was a certain amount of, I'll buy them fake, but I'll continue to engage with audiences and they'll see that I'm a credible person. And then I'll be able to gain, you know, attraction that's actually authentic and real in that respect. And it was a crazy thinking at the time. I think for a second it worked, but I, it definitely wasn't something that's long lasting. It is crazy. I'm like, that's the thing. It's like, we're always like, it's just never, it's never worth it. Even for like that brief no. time that your follower, you know, your overall follower count is up. Everybody keeps asking, like the other hot button topic of this year is, you know, all about engagement rate. And I think that that is to get ahead of the problem of fake followers, um, because mm -hmm. just because your overall follower count is going to increase, like the engagement tends to not. Um, and so, you know, but here's another thing that, you know, I, I will say about fake followers slash engagement. We'll have people having, you know, they'll have a conversation about it. They'll be analyzing one influencer in particular, and they'll mm -hmm. say, well, this person's flagged because their following is from, you know, is a higher percentage. Let's say, I mean, we're talking small percentages, maybe like like 8% right. from a South American country. So, you know, right. that must mean that they have fake followers, that those are fake followers. I just always like to remind people that in my, like, this is my opinion. Always ask people. It can be dangerously easy to steal your identity during tax season because so much sensitive info is all together. Before we start the annual meeting of Sean's personal info, uh, has anyone seen social security number? Not me. Nope. Nuh -uh. Oh no. He's been stolen. LifeLock by Norton makes it easy to help protect yourself. If you become a victim, we'll work to fix it. No one can monitor all transactions, but you can save up to 25% off your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Identity theft protection starts here. What their source is. <laughs> please, please, <laughs> please. Because people are throwing around a lot of accusations. And I will, I will say some of them are right. But you can't assume that. And asking what somebody's source is, is like question number one. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, it, and I will say this. When we've asked some people those questions, and they're really cagey about it, and they won't tell me their source, I, I find it highly questionable. You know, if, if yep. there's nothing to hide, what are you hiding? Right. So, you know, so, <laughs> when, so, that, so that's one thing. And another thing is like, especially about the country thing, I guess, you know, maybe there's a bit more that you can dig into it about. And I appreciate that you're saying, you know, on, on your end, if you get a flag, you know, that something looks a little fishy, it sounds like you guys dig into it a little more. Cause what I would say yeah. to the influencer is, you know, did you ever travel to that country before? Because what yep. a lot of influencers do is while they're traveling, they'll geotag a specific place in that country or that state or whatever, and they pick up a lot of followers from there. I mean, look, if somebody's following is 50% from, you know, from, <laughs> you know, some random country they've never been to, yes, that's mm -hmm. highly, highly suspicious. However, mm -hmm. if we're talking a percentage that's under 10% um, and, you know, and they've traveled there before, there's some reason that they could have, you know, gained followers from that place. You know, these are legitimate follow up questions before jumping the gun to come to any conclusions. Um, yeah, so, absolutely. So I, I, 
Yeah, I always like to remind people that. I mean, again, like any of these hot button topics, like people are so quick to jump all over them. It's it's simply a flag, all and that's all that it is. And and we should, you know, we I want people, I want people in our industry to get ahead of this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot more information that needs to be gathered before jumping to any conclusions. So a hundred percent. And there's so many, there's so many other audience metrics to look at. Like definitely location is one. If we see something fishy, it's like, okay, but if it's eight, like under 10%, that, I mean, that's a, that's a decent rule. I think for the purposes of the conversation, I think under 10%, totally fine. If you see that that person with the under 10% follower in some obscure country, and then also has a hundred percent female audience, like that's a little bit weird because not a, like a hundred percent female doesn't or any gender, it, it just doesn't really align like 98% maybe even, but a lot of times you'll see like those other demographic metrics and you're just like, none of this really makes a lot of sense. Or like they're 100% under 17 and it's like, there's a couple things at play here, but yeah, I'd agree with you in that if they had a show launch in that country or they've traveled there or, you know, that's, essentially a part of their ethnicity, even, even though they live maybe in in the US, that's completely valid. I feel like there's a lot of things at play. And you can't just go by one specific case in in a source. For sure. And I love that. It's like, what else to look into? Because I feel like people listening are going to be like, oh, this is good. Like, so, you know, what metrics to look into age, you know, age range, I think is really smart, like you were saying, Um, you know, but location, age range, like just these few sort of key metrics, like, Good to look into, but like keep digging. Like it's just a, it's yeah. a notification of like where to start, you know? I think. And then ask, maybe ask me. even too. Like, yeah. That's the important thing. Because, that, because that's the other thing, right? I mean, if we're talking about brand partnerships, sometimes brands are looking for really, really specific types of people or to reach a very specific type of audience. So if you've mm-hmm. found like the, you know, the, the jupacabra of, uh, <laughs> of, of that type of influencer that this brand is looking for, and you're like, this is literally like the only one out there who meets <laughs> this criteria, I'm not going to give up on them quite yet just because I saw yeah. a flag there. Nope, not yet. Yeah, make that not case. Yet. <laughs> Not yet. So speaking of, you know, what are, you know, brand collaborations? I mean, that's a big, big part of what, you know, you, your company does, right? So, you know, talk to me a little bit about some brands that you just think are, um, have been success stories and their partnerships with influencers. You can drop names or not. Um, and I just want to learn, like, what are people doing right these days? Yeah. So we work with a lot of the Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 brands um, across the board with as far as cate- categories are concerned. We're really big on the um, auto- automotive space. Uh, let me rephrase that. We're really big in the auto space. Um, we're also big on some alcohol brands out there. Um, we work with some airline and travel partners. Um, we do CPG brands across the board and it's a combination of like brands and different agencies that we work with. And I want to say the brand partnerships that are always, you know, the, the most fruitful, I, I think, I mean, any brand partnership is going to be great, but the most fruitful ones are going to be the ones that continue to have long lasting relationships with us and influencers throughout the year and, and, you know, year after year after that, really honing in on this sort of ambassadorship program um, instead of working with influencers and in maybe a one-off capacity it, it's definitely it's definitely good to see that from them and, and kind of hone in on a success story that you're able to talk about and see emerge and unfold 
throughout the year and whether or not it's it's with a multitude of products, whether or not it's like different messaging throughout time, that influencer's audience is then more engaged with what they have to say from a branded perspective because they've seen it before. And perhaps the influencer is also excited about it as well. I mean, most most likely they are since influencers, I think, are becoming a little bit more specific in the people that they want to work with to maintain that organic engagement um, over time. So, yeah, successful ones like to have conversations with um, influencers directly, I think. Um, at times, we'll hop on the phone and make sure creative is like definitely intact and everyone's, you know, aligned in what message and vision we're trying to put out there from a creative land, uh, creative perspective. Uh, I think definitely the ones that are working with us over time and then um, the ones that just sort of get it, that know that, you know, influencers have this space and they've been in this space for a while and there's something definitely that they're trying to get out of it from a brand perspective, but they also know that this talent has, you know, a vision and we're only here to help push that forward. We have a robust creative team that really strategizes around keeping the brand's message intact and letting the influencer kind of run with it in their own organic voice. And I think that balance has been really successful. Um, and then uh, we've just been able to sort of streamline that process and working with like multiple people at one time, whereas, you know, brands don't necessarily have teams that can do that directly with them. So I think coming in and, and making their dream and vision and, and working in this digital capacity come through is important making sure that we're then using these people for the purposes of conversion. And then we're just doing it in a way that just seems easy and fun and simple because, you know, at the end of the day, this is should be a really fun environment and fun industry to, to work in and to be a part of. Um, so I think it's just been really successful when the brand gets it from that, from that lens. For sure. And I feel like it's, it's our responsibility to sometimes educate them and sometimes, you know, like push them in one direction or another. Um, so, you know, cause they're, they're earnest sometimes, like sometimes they simply just don't sure. know and they, they need to look to their agency partners for, for that guidance. So, you know, in, in regard, I've, I've gotten a question like this recently, um, you know, <clears throat> someone on the, you know, on the brand side, they're like, what can we do to make the campaign brief more effective? Um, what, what can we do there? What would you, how would you answer that question? You're saying the brand said that to the agency or who's asking? Yeah. Yeah. So if, you know, a brand, brands have spoken to me before and just asked mm -hmm. earnestly, what can oh. we do to make our brief more effective for the influencer to interpret, to get, you know, the oh. messaging across and, you know, how can, what can we do to make this uh, a better process in regards to the brief and, you know, and sharing information and communicating that. So mm -hmm. what, what advice would you give them? I mean, it's always nice to hop on the phone. If you have that at your disposal and, and to have that one-way communication with each other to really kind of map out, I think the brand needs to be aligned. I think the brand itself or, or the team working to, um, you know, activate that influencer should have a vision in mind, should have some sort of outline together um, that kind of like this is, you know, going to be the title of the campaign. This is the objective overall. These are the types of posts we're looking for. This is the creative idea. Um, and this is overall what we should feel and, and get out of whatever post or content. And then maybe leave um, some of the some of the results section um, a little bit separate. But uh, I think communicating with the talent one on one is 
always really effective. I think it helps drive their creative process, but also it really depends, I think, on the talent because some talent just kind of like that bullet, bullet, bullet. I got it and I can run with it. And some really want to figure out what the brand's trying to achieve as far as like their overall maybe 2019 goals. And so they think a little bit differently. And I've worked with all of the above, <laughs> you know, people who are definitely like, let me get on the phone. I want to understand this from their lens and I want to understand where they're coming from. Um, and that'll help me in my process and making sure that I'm doing exactly what they need from me. Um, and then I've had people who are just like, you know, I, it's kind of just like, just maybe tell me what you want and um, I can interpret it, but I definitely just need those bullets to look at. And then I can maybe think about it a little bit more strategically. So it might depend. I think asking questions is always so fair. Um, and I think it's, it's great for people like you who are representing these talent who totally get both sides of it. They can help sort of interpret that and, and make that messaging a little bit more streamlined as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's as much as we love to templatize it, everyone's different. Every talent is different. Every brand or agent is different. Um, so I think learning to, you know, to, uh, what do you say? Like to mesh with different. It to mesh with different work styles. Yeah. And personalize yeah. it and, and just kind of like speak that language, kind of like love languages. Like how do you, how do you work in, in best and most effectively um, from a professional standpoint? And it's like kind of honing in and really trying to just ask that questions. But I think communication can only be more helpful. I, I can't imagine, you know, less communication could be better. That doesn't really make a lot of sense. It's kind of like, if I have more information, I'm able to kind of answer any questions that I have lingering. That's only going to help me more be more informed about the entire process. So for sure. And I even that, just thought of this like lot. just now, based, <laughs> based on what you were just <laughs> saying, like maybe it's a matter of, you know, I'm going to give you the brief that I'm going to give you. And then maybe like it's a the possibility of a follow-up call is if you have specific questions based on the brief. I just know that like, yeah, it would be ideal if ever you could hop on a call with all 300 people that are booked on a campaign. But like, that is sometimes well, yeah. <laughs> not possible if it's a lot of people. But maybe, you know, 100%. But, but, you know, to your point also, like everybody learns differently and everybody um, interprets things, uh, information, they take in information uh, in, in, in a different way. Like everybody is personalizing that. So, you know, if there's an opportunity to say like, I'm going to send this to you, this is going to go out to everybody. But, you know, if you have any questions, like click here and set up a time, <laughs> um, you know, and yeah. then we can chat about it over the phone for some of those few people that just need a little bit more hand holding. Um, maybe that's a way to sort of combat it and like, you know, streamline it in some way, shape or form possibly. Yeah. I mean, we definitely hop on the phone with the client and we go through, you know, everything that they're looking for. And we ask those questions like, and knowing, you know, some nuances, like, is it okay if it's a carousel post versus just like a static or, you know, this influencer is really keen on doing, um, you know, video in a way that's, uh, you know, innovative for their actual feed instead of putting that into an Instagram story. And it's like, we're asking those questions with the client. So then when we do have a conversation with the talent, um, we already know what to, what to kind of look for. And if any additional questions do come up, we're always happy to sort of communicate that um, to the brand as well. But yeah, I think trying to make that communication process just as seamless as possible. It's, it's a work in progress for sure. But the only thing that we can do is try our best to understand each other as like human beings. <laughs> and then hopefully there's some, there's some through line there that makes the overall process a little bit better. 
For sure. And like, we do need to remember at the end of the day, because we do work in such a heavily digital industry that like, you know, getting on the phone or like, you know, meeting in person oh, yeah. or just at the very, very minimum, remembering that there's like a real human being at the end of that email, <laughs> like is really important because to your point, I mean, you know, everybody's unique and everyone's going to, you know, digest this document differently and they may have different needs to be able to get to the finish line. So just a, the very minimum, the very least having that awareness, I think is going to like, you know, improve this process by far. Um, Agreed. Yeah. And so to switch gears just a little, you know, the other <laughs> part of whim that's so important to people that I think really resonates with so many is this idea that, you know, we also love to talk about just women in business in general. I mean, it's a women's mm -hmm. networking group. Um, so, you know, with that being said, you know, what sort of advice would you give to young female professionals in this industry? If, you know, um, mm. some people have talked about like work-life balance. Some people have talked about, you know, ways to move up and be successful. And, um, you know, I'm sure there are people wanting to know about all of those things. But from your personal experience, what advice would you give? Yeah, there's a couple of things there, I think, um, that I'm continuing to learn, obviously, as, as I go about this journey called life. But, um, I want to say, I think, and this might seem cliche, but for everyone out there who had sort of a list and, and, um, knew exactly what they wanted to do as far, like on paper and, and they wanted to kind of follow that trail, just be open. I think open yourself up to being a little bit more, um, responsive to what the environment is putting in front of you. I never thought that digital was exactly going to be my path, but I knew that I wanted to be a part of something that was innovative and new and fun and constantly changing um, so that I wouldn't get bored, essentially. <laughs> and so I think being open to the things that are around you, the things that make you feel whole, the things that make you feel excited about waking up in the morning. Um, and it, it's, it's so cliche, even as I'm saying it, but just knowing a little bit about things that are non-negotiables for you, I think is really important. The things that um, you definitely won't sacrifice at the end of the day and the things that you definitely will, the things that you're, you're open to kind of, uh, you know, doing without a lot of the times, I think that that could be really informative to the types of paths you want to take. But I know even just on an, on a daily basis, like I do things like I work out every day. I like to cook at home. Like I just try to make sure I express like gratitude on, on a regular basis for everything that makes me feel whole. So definitely like my mental capacity on a spiritual level, try to make sure, you know, prayer is a part of my daily routine and then just like physical, because I think there's a lot of that being physical and, and experiencing physical activity, I think it helps stimulate all the other parts of the body and, and same goes for um, the other two that I mentioned. So I think thinking about yourself and, and just what brings you joy, because we can totally get caught up. I mean, I'm one to just experience stress on a regular basis. Um, you wouldn't maybe know that from an outward perspective, because I try to, you know, keep a positive vibe pretty much all around me and a bottle of wine. Um, but generally I like to, I like to make sure that, you know, we're, we're in this journey called life together and we're all trying to make it. We're all trying to be great. And so be nice to each other, like lift each other up and be excited about the world. And don't think that your chapter two is the same as someone else's chapter two. Like they could be on chapter one and, and just looks a little bit different than yours. So yeah, I think just, you know, kind of feel it out and, 
go with your gut essentially. Um, but definitely know what's important to you and, and your values and just things that are just non-negotiable in, in that respect. I love that so much. And I was actually like particularly interested to ask you this question. Um, so I just feel like you, you put out this really good energy always. <laughs> and I, and I, and so I'm like, what is this girl doing? <laughs> because some of us feel at some points and I'm sure you feel like this too. Like it could be overwhelming. 100%. Like this industry, there's so much happening. It's like a high volume business. Everyone's trying to figure it out. Like there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts, but I was like, I just feel like Tiffany's got like good energy always. And so like, I'm like, I want you to give this advice to people listening. Cause I, I feel like it's valuable and it was good advice. So uh, thank you. I, I so appreciate that. And I, and I mean, good vibes attract other good vibes. So like the feeling is totally mutual. It's just, you know, I think thinking about it, just taking a step back, like we're not brain surgeons, like mad respect to all the brain surgeons out there, but you know, <laughs> we're <laughs> lucky to have the problems that we have every day, you know, essentially. So just thinking it's about true. that. Yeah. And just like, I don't know, I find like when I am in my best, um, like my best headspace, it's like when I'm practicing so much gratitude. Um, and so, yeah. you know, exactly to your point it's like if I can it, when I'm in my most stressed point if I can just like sit back listen to like I don't know if you're into the calm app or any like meditation apps but oh I'm gosh yes yes I'm so into them and there's you know like a specific section of gratitude and if I could just like bring myself back to that space of being grateful for certain things in my life like that is a way to sort of like calm everything down and like come back to like a really good centered place. So yes, I love that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so we ask everyone on the podcast the same question. Uh, and I'm excited to hear your answer. Um, what oh do gosh. you, what do you wish someone had told your younger self that would have given you a professional or a personal advantage today? Ooh, what would I tell my younger self? And it's so funny. I'm going to write, I'm going to say exactly what I actually wrote on this notepad right next to me in starting this podcast, but that everything is going to be okay. <laughs> everything is fine. And I can't remember. I've listened to all the women podcasts. I can't remember if anyone else has also said this, but if so, mad respect to them as well. But to just know that everything <laughs> is fine. Everything's going to be okay. Everything that's been put in front of you wouldn't be put in front of you unless um, you can handle it, essentially. Ooh, so as much as, as much as we deal with all the hard things in life, like getting, uh, getting over that is, is important. And we're going to be able to tell really awesome stories down the line. So everything's going to be chill. <laughs> Everything is going to be chill and it wouldn't be put in front of you if you weren't able to handle it. Oh, I like that so much. That's good. Tiffany, where can yeah. everybody find you? How can they get in touch? Are you on social, LinkedIn, email? How do you prefer people can to, to reach out and find you? Yes, I am. It's TK Chantel on all platforms, including, you know, Gmail, email. That's TK Chantel, S-H-A-N-T-E-L. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining today and for being on the podcast. No problem. It's so great. Thank you. Yeah. This was so Thanks. fun. Awesome, girl. Awesome. <laughs>
Thank you everyone so much for listening. If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We love comments, so comment on this podcast and we may shout you out on our next episode. Join us next time and thanks for tuning in.